0: Encouraging us to go on out and face the challenge, step off of the threshold, face our giants, stand face to face to our uh, lions that are in our life, go down into the pits of life that we've had in our life, raise up our spear, grab a hold of the sword of God, bust through the host of the enemy, and go and protect and possess and defend our promised land. I want you to look at somebody tonight and say, I'm going to win the battle. Win the battle. Uh, and you got to have some conviction in that. Say, so I'm, I'm going to win the battle in 2022, 2022. while God wins the war. God Lord, God wins the war. Praise yeah. the Lord. And I've been kind of in a deep conversation with the Lord. Thanks to all of you that has been praying to, for me to do so. I have been in a deep conversation with the Lord for a long time. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Sissy, I asked God to reveal to me what the root problem or the root of the problem was when it comes to the entire church, not just this church, but the entire church being the change agent in our culture that we are supposed to be. What is the problem that is causing us not to be the change agent out in the culture that we are supposed to be? Because God did call you to change your atmosphere. He called you to change your family. He called you when you walked in here tonight and you sit on the pew that you're sitting on, you're supposed to change the atmosphere of that pew. If that person that was sitting in that pew with you tonight or in this church tonight was depressed, when you walked in, you're supposed to change their atmosphere. So God has called us to be a change agent. And that set off a conversation that I've been having with the Lord for several, several weeks uh, in the middle of the night, sometimes two, three or four o'clock in the morning. Why, As I've been out uh, in the field working, as I've been talking to the Tina, as I've been in the house, it set off a conversation that's still go ongoing today. And that conversation to me has really been extremely enlightening. Anybody's ever had the Lord speak to you He gives you one sentence? And when he gives you that one sentence, there is so much in that one sentence, it takes you a long time to comprehend what God is trying to say. If you've never been there before in that intimacy and in that level, God will literally open up your mind to things that you have never thought about in your life. Amen? Amen. Some of you tonight, as I started church service, I walked around and asked every one of you, I said, what was it that you wanted to be when you were a little toddler? What in your life did you really want to be? And most people told me what they were wanting to do, and I'd ask them, "said well, did you make it? And most of you told me, no, you didn't make it. And I asked them, some of you said, well, why didn't you make it? Some said, well, I come close. Some said, well, I got elements of it, but I didn't make it all the way. One said they were too old. Another one said that they had to handle and deal with somebody of the opposite sex. There was all kinds of issues and all types of reasons why we didn't do what our dream was for us to do. But God is calling a church in 2022 that knows how to dream. And it can still dream. And God is the ultimate dream catcher. He can catch our dreams and he can make it come to pass. And I believe that you're going to find out something about your life tonight. And I really want you to open up your heart to receive. Amen. Amen. So I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what is it that is keeping the church from being the change agent that we are supposed to be to our culture? Why is it that everybody is running away from the church it seems now and not a lot of people are involved in the church like it used to be. I remember that the church was the dictation of the calendar of the community. Whatever the church was doing, that's what the community was doing. Now, the church barely has enough people to keep the doors open. And I want to know why. And the first thing, and he said a lot of things, but the first thing that he spoke to me or the Spirit said to me is, and you might want to write this down because this has a deep, deep talk to you tonight. And the Spirit said this just as clear as day to me. He said, we try to be too reasonable about what we believe. Listen to that. Because we try to be too reasonable about what we believe. Hmm. I mowed over that for a couple of days, Aunt Janice. I was trying to get a good understanding of it. So I looked up the word reasonable. I said, Lord, what does the word reasonable mean? And the word reasonable means that you make sound judgment. Don't seem to be like a bad situation. That you have enough of... uh, Understanding and enough of thought process in your mind that you make a sound for judgment. But it goes on and says it is to be sensible and to be appropriate. And that's where the Spirit started speaking to me and said the problem is, is yes, the Lord wants you to be able to make a sound judgment. But the word reasonable takes in all of your senses, what you see, what you taste, what you feel, takes in all five senses what you hear, and we become too reasonable in what we believe. And as I began to look at that there, as I said, well, we're, we're a little too reasonable with it, I looked up the word reason. I want you to hear what the word reason does. And some of you that are spiritual start to get this tonight. The word me reason means it is the power of your mind to think. Now, I don't know about you, but when God saved me, he did not deliver my mind 100%. He done his work on the inside of me in my spiritual mind. The Hebrew word for the mind in the spirit is the word lib or lab, as we hear it. It's where you go in and you create things. But the word reasonable means that you are thinking in the power of your own mind. And you're trying to understand and find the cause or an explanation and justify... Bring some type of justification in what you believe. Yeah. And I began to understand, as the Spirit was talking to me with this, it carried me a little deep with this, I said, you know, that is the truth. We all have got to see and understand everything before we can truly believe. And until we can settle the argument on the inside of ourself and make it reasonable to us, then we're not going to partake in something that do not seem to be reasonable in our life. Amen? We want to be able to give a reason, or we want to be able to give a, an argument for what we believe in, because after all, Betty, if you can't explain what you believe in, and what you believe, then everyone thinks you're flat out foolish. Amen. Did y'all hear what I just said? If you can't believe, explain to somebody what you believe and why you believe that, everybody looks at you like you have lost your mind, That's the truth. that you are foolish. Amen. So turn to your neighbor here tonight and ask him, say, are you foolish? I am. Let's do it like this. look at someone and say, I will not be normal. I'm called to be foolish. Now stop and think about that. I will not be normal. I preached a message that said, not this time, I refuse to be normal. Uh When we're talking about chasing the lions. But God has not called you to be normal. That's right. The Bible tells us that he has called us to be foolish. And when you're foolish, the word foolish literally means that you're doing things that's unreasonable. As you're doing things that's crazy. As you're doing things that other people don't see. We want to be able to present an argument and be able to convince somebody of everything that we believe, and if we can't do that there, then the world looks at us like we're just lost our mind. Anybody ever looked at you and said, I don't know what in the world you believe, you just lost your mind. Amen. Amen. The problem with having a belief that is reasonable, the big problem with having a belief that's reasonable is that you cannot Have faith in God and it be reasonable. You can't understand it. Because God asks you to believe in some things that's not reasonable at all. What I believe in fact is hilariously impossible when you look at the natural realm. You see, I believe that an axe head floated in the water. I believe that a God stood out in the middle of nowhere on nothing and he called Something out of nothing, and he spoke it, and he created a universe, and not only this universe, but multiple universes, and there's galaxies all over the world, and his word is going out. That's unreasonable. You can't really fathom in your mind and explain how that works, how God said this and that happened. I believe that God has called us to be foolish, and the church has missed that call. We have missed it tremendously. Amen. I believe that we have refused to be foolish. We all want to be normal. Amen? My mind tells me that to arise out of a tomb after three days of being dead right. is unreasonable. That if mama died and she's been in the, the, the uh, uh, funeral home and she has already been embalmed and all of her blood is out of her body and there is no life blood in her whatsoever and she's been dead for three days. And all of a sudden, she comes walking back. I can't explain that. I can't give you a reason why it's happened. I, I believe, honestly, honestly, when I look at it in reason, I honestly believe that it cannot occur. If there ain't no blood in a body, a body can't live. But somehow, Jesus come up out of the grave in a glorified body after the blood had drawn out of him and spices was ready to be put in him, and he lives forevermore. And I believe that. And that's unreasonable. It's hard to believe that, amen. I believe that axe had defied the laws here on this earth and it floated to the top of the water because a man prayed probably the craziest prayer that I've ever heard in the, the scriptures and said, Lord, let it float. I believe today for someone to speak this universe into existence gives me no reason to explain how that can happen. So what God has called you to do is to believe the impossible. Because the impossible is unreasonable. How many of you here tonight has faith in God enough to believe for the impossible? Amen. Amen. Now, if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus Christ, I got you something for you tonight, you have got to believe in the impossible. because you cannot believe in Harry Krishna. He's dead. you got to believe in a risen Savior that came down from heaven, emptied himself, and took off his royal diadem, come down lower than a word, born of a virgin birth, lived here on this earth 33 and a half years, died on the cross, went into the grave, went down into hell, got the death, the, key, the death hell in the grave, come back up, appeared for 50 days, ascended up to heaven, and was exalted at the right hand of God, sat down beside God himself and him release the Holy Ghost to come down here and you got to believe, although He's sitting up there, He is with you always, even to the end of this world. That's unreasonable. It blows your mind. Amen. Amen. And we here believe that. Amen. We really do believe that, but we really don't believe that. <laughs> we believe it, but we really don't believe that. We want to be able to explain everything about it. Amen. You got to believe, and if, if, if you're going to be reasonable about this thing, you got to tell, explain to somebody how a woman that is a virgin, that has never known a man, has never had a seed of a man in her vessel, can birth a baby. You got to be able to explain that. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that can explain that. And none of us can. I'm not that smart. Amen. I don't know how in the world wine turned to water, but I do know the Bible says did it turn to water. Amen. I don't know how in the world a man could fly off without a spaceship or a spacesuit and just go right out of this galaxy into space and not have any oxygen and keep right on ascending up there and not die. I don't understand all that. It's not reasonable in my life. And the reason that God spoke to me and said the reason why you're not breaking out is because everybody's trying to be reasonable about what they believe. I believe that's the truth. Amen. How in the world can a man save the world by building a boat? Don't make no sense, does it? How in the world can he get every species on the face of this earth to come to the boat and to live in that boat for over a year and not sit there and get sick and all that? How can that happen? How in the world could a five foot guy stand in front of a 13 foot guy and sling one rock and hit him in the only place in his armor that had an opening with it and take him out? That's hard to explain. Amen? Here's what you need to understand. There is an innate desire on the inside of you, each and every one of you, to be accepted at all costs. Mm -hmm. Hear me now. Everybody here tonight wants to be accepted. Everybody wants everybody to like you. We want to be accepted for who we are. And because we have that innate desire on the inside of us to be accepted, we would do anything at times that it takes to become accepted. And God didn't call us to be that way. Amen. Amen. You see, that desire that we have, and so we, we began to have that desire, and it shows up in our life at a very early age. And when that desire comes, we begin to learn at a very early age that we are to become a conformist. We're supposed to conform to everything we've been told. Now, the word conformist, it means a person who conforms to an accepted behavior or an established practices. He complies with all the rules, complies with all the standards. He's wanting to match in society, and he's trying to make something similar in form or type. In other words, you're wanting to fit in, and everybody wants to fit in. Amen? So we try to look like everybody else. Help his Lord, amen. Turn to that neighbor outside and say, I might not look like you, but I'm trying to. Yeah. We all want to dress like each other. We want to talk like everybody else. How are you doing today, brother? I'm blessed of the Lord. I'm doing wonderful. I'm doing great. The Lord has surely blessed me and all hell is breaking loose in the house. We all want to be accepted. In fact, when we started coming to the church, we probably had never said amen in all of our life. But now that is a constant word that we're speaking. We all want to talk like each other we probably never said hallelujah, but that's a part of our dialect. We began to come together. And the end result of all of us wanting to try to fit in, trying to look like everybody else, trying to talk like everybody else, trying to dress like everybody else, is that we become like everybody else. Amen. Amen. We're just normal. Normal. Ask your neighbor, say, are you normal? Normal. are you normal? Here's what happens. We hide the way we really think because it's peculiar from other people and what they think. We're scared to tell anybody exactly what we really truly think because we don't feel like that Sissy is going to accept us if she knows exactly how we think. Oh, man, I'm already deep in that this morning, this evening, amen? We behave just like everybody expects us to behave, don't we? We smile when everybody expects us to smile. We clap our hands when everybody expects us to clap. We get up and we move when everybody expects us to to move. We listen to conversations when everybody expects us to listen. How many have ever listened to a conversation? You ain't heard a word they said. Yeah, yeah. Let's admit that tonight. Amen. <laughs> What happens is is we refuse to open up ourselves to danger or to uncertainty, and we wind up in our life never letting everybody know exactly who we are and exactly what we think and what we're putting up and what's going on in our life, and we allow the lack of confidence that we have in who God has made us, and we allow that anxiety that we have about ourselves to remain hidden, and we just conform to the dictates of society. That is very dangerous. Mm -hmm. One man said to thine own self, be true. And he finished up this little quote and said, if you're not true to yourself, you won't ever be true to nobody else. So turn to your neighbor tonight, let's confess something. Look at him real good and say, I know you, but I don't know you. I want to be able to meet some of the real you tonight. I want to be able to meet some of the real you tonight. There is something that is invaluable and something that is irreplaceable, that is lost when you cave in to conformity. It's lost. You lose your reputation. You lose your personality. What is your personality? Your personality is the characteristics that makes you an individual. Your characteristics, your quality that forms your individual character so everybody can see you and what makes you distinct from everybody else. And we lose a personality. And what we wind up being is a clone. We wind up being like somebody else. We try to fit in. And we never let everybody know exactly how we feel or what we're thinking. Someone say amen if you believe that. Amen. What happens is we can come into the church and we stay in the church for 10 to 15 to 20 years and nobody ever knows our true nature. Nobody ever knows our originality. We never let our originality come to the forefront. Nobody ever knows what we really like to do. Nobody really knows what we really want out of life. And your disposition gets to the point to where you will uh, literally sit there and you will arrange certain things in your life and never express them. You hold it in and God never called you to hold it in. And it becomes a stronghold of the enemy in your life because you lose your originality. I want everybody to holler out and say, I am an original. The Bible says you are God's masterpiece. That means God took his time and he took and made a painting and he put you in there and he drew a masterpiece and when he drew Susan Shipman he drew Susan Shipman and there's never been another Susan Shipman on the face of the earth and there never will be another Susan Shipman on the face of the earth there'll never be a Susan system that reacts the way that Susan reacts to. there will never be another Susan that thinks the way Susan thinks there'll never be another Susan that hurts the way Susan hurts there's never Be another Susan at a party the way Susan parties. She is an original. You are an original. And as time goes on, as you hide all these things, you lose your soul. And the Bible says that the end of your faith, the goal of your faith, is for you to win the salvation of your soul. Your soul contains your emotions, your mind, and it, control, uh, it contains your will. So God is saying that if we continually hold this in, that we will start, start losing our mind and our control of our mind. We will lose the control of our emotions, and we only feel what everybody tells us is okay to feel. Yes, yes. Anybody ever been told how you should feel about a certain situation? Yes, Don't that make you mad? You shouldn't have acted like that. You shouldn't have felt that way. Lord, don't tell me I shouldn't have felt That's the try. way I felt. Right. Just because you don't think and understand how I felt, don't tell me that I shouldn't feel that That's way. Right. 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 God wants you to be original. Am I helping anybody tonight? Amen. Sure. Now, the way you react to others, you begin to do it by what they think is appropriate in your life. And you react the way everybody thinks you're supposed to react. Look at me. I'm a preacher. Everybody thinks I should never get upset. I should never raise my voice. I should not have any problems. I should always smile. I should always be like the preacher down the road that they saw in their mind or their preachers that they come up with that they saw them with the show was put on in the house of God. That was a show. That's right. No man is ever perfect. No man always thinks right all the time. And no man never holds his emotions in line. Jesus got mad and whipped the daylight side of the people and ran them out of the house of God. That's right. Why can't I get a little upset if I need to get upset? Y'all with me tonight? Yes, sir. So, God wants us to be original. Now, I want you to understand something. And in talking with the Lord, I have made a promise to the Lord. And really, I made the promise a long time ago, but I dropped off of it. And I remember praying, and I said, Lord, I don't want to be like nobody else. I want to play the piano different than anybody else has ever played it. I want to sing different than anybody ever played it. I want to be a preacher that is different. I want to be a preacher when somebody comes to the house of God, they get some help. They hear something new that they've never heard before in their life. And by the grace of God, most of the time, God has allowed me to do that. But I made a comment to the Lord years ago, and I said, Lord, I refuse to be a carbon copy of somebody else. I is what I is. Yeah. I am what I am. Yeah. There isn't a conversation, and I pick on her a little bit. They, isn't a time that I preach to y'all that Tina tells me I should say a different word than what I say. <laughs> she gets on to me because I am a redneck from the jam. And it don't matter what you dress me up like, I'm a country farm boy. And I will always be a country farm boy. And I'll say something another instead of something another. I got a slang out there and I got to be who I am. But see, when you began to allow all this to happen in your life, when you do so, you began to live a life of settling. And when you begin to live a life of settling, you live for something less than what God has intended you to be. God has not intended for you not to be all that you can be. You live something less. You settle for a marriage that's less than what God intended for you to have. You settle for a state of life that is less than what God intended you to have when he put you in a situation. So I want to tell you tonight, church, if you're going to defy the odds, if you're going to slay your giant, if you're going to sit there and you're going to chase after that lion, if you're going to take your risk, if you're going to seize the God-ordained opportunity that he's laid before in your life, you've got to be willing to look a little bit foolish. You've got to learn how to be foolish and you've got to stand up and quit being conforming to everything that everybody else thinks that you should do. And no matter what it might look like in your life, you need to lose your mind and your Dignity for the Lord and Savior that brought you out of the deep and miry clay and set you on a higher ground. It's time for the church to lose their mind and let the Lord make them crazy one more time. Amen. Amen. All right. How many want to be foolish for the Lord? Let me see your hand. You know what? No matter what it might look like, God's will is not foolish. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of times Janice, God will tell you to do things that's flat out foolish looking. Amen. I believe that we all down deep on the inside of us really want to do something crazy for the Lord. Mm, Well, I thought I'd get a little better reaction to that. I said, I believe deep down on the inside of all of us, we all want to do something crazy for the Lord. I believe we really do. I think that's down on the inside of us. But we have acquired on the inside of us a fear of looking foolish that keeps us so hogtied and so locked down in our basement that we will not come out and we can't do what God wants us to do. Let me ask you a question. What do you think statistically is a person's number one fear? They've done all kinds of studies through the years, and every time they've done it, it came back to one thing. What do you think it was? Who? Speaking in front of other people. That's the number one fear that people have. You know what the number two fear is? Dying. So some people would rather die than to stand up and speak to somebody else. Now, let me ask you a question. When Sissy was a little old girl running around about two years old, Mama had to tell her to shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Because she talked all the time. How many got children? They talked all the time. Oh, man, you couldn't tell them you couldn't get them to hush. You had to beat the butt to get them to hush. Children are not scared to talk in front of nobody. Little Joe runs up here and gets in front of the whole church and stays up here behind this microphone and he literally sings the way he thinks he can sing and right. he's not scared of y'all one bit. That's right. Yeah. But if I was to tell Ned to come up here and sing in front of y'all, <laughs> what do you think would happen? No, I think you you more in church. Here's the truth, and as your preacher, I got to tell you the truth. The fear of looking foolish has dictated your actions all your life. It's dictated your reactions all your life. And it's dictated your behavior all your life. You would raise up your hand in school when you thought you knew the answer because you thought maybe I have the wrong answer and everybody would laugh at me if I put the wrong answer out. Am I talking to anybody tonight? you wouldn't go ask that girl out or you wouldn't let that darn boy know that you were interested in him and would be interested in going out to him because you feared that he or she would reject you. Am I talking to anybody? you didn't change your major in college or you didn't change that job when you got a certain age because you were fearful of being foolish and when you turned 50, you weren't going to change that job because you've been doing it all of your life and I'm not going to look foolish now. Uh, yeah. Amen, amen. Yeah, yeah. People would think I'm foolish. Some of y'all married somebody and they thought you was flat out dumb. Amen. But here's the truth. If you're not willing to look foolish, you're foolish. If you're not willing to lose it all and look foolish, you're foolish. The word foolish means lacking good sense. And God has called you to being foolish. He wants you to lack some good sense. In other words, he does not want your natural senses dictating what you do, when you do it, and how you do it, and who you do it to. You are supposed to live by your spiritual senses. Anybody getting me tonight? Amen. The word foolish means that you are lacking good judgment or you are being unwise. And God is calling you to lack good earthly judgment and to be unwise in the world's eyes. He's not wanting you to be stupid in the spiritual realm, but he wants you to be flat right out stupid when it comes to this earth. He wants you to be mindless of the things that's going on around here. He wants his children to act silly ever now and again. He wants his children to be idiotic every now and again he wants us to literally be thoughtless every now and again and do things without thinking about it for 50 hours before we decide that this is the way we need to go he wants us to be senseless 100% senseless and just in reckless abandon obey him and let everybody think you're foolish for once in a while amen here's another truth if you're going to have faith you got to be willing to look foolish Amen, amen. I'll say that myself, amen. Don't you think Noah looked foolish out there in the middle of the desert building a a boat? Don't you think there that Sarah looked kind of crazy going into the maternity shop to buy some maternity clothes at 90 years old? And would ask her, well, what, what size you need? Well, let me try it on and I'll tell you. Don't you think that was kind of foolish that the little girl would look at him and say, wait a minute now, you're 90 years old. too, be sure, you ain't pregnant. She looked mighty foolish, didn't she? Amen. It looked mighty foolish when the Israelites came across the Jordan and they began to walk around the city of Jericho and they walk around it every day and they go there and the last day they started going around and I could just hear them people. Like, look at them foolish people. They keep doing the same old thing and nothing ever happened. they crazy and all of a sudden the trumpet went to blow it and the foolish thing was honored by God and the walls of Jericho came down. Amen. Yeah, yeah. I believe David looked mighty foolish when he ran out there with a sling and a stone to face a 13 foot giant that had been sitting there for 40 days and keeping the whole nation of Israel's mighty soldiers away from them and he went out there and told them before he ever done it he said I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds because you have defied the Lord God of the army of Israel I thought that he was flat right out foolish when he did it I believe Ben Benaniah looked mighty foolish when he went out there and run down into the pirate, I'm sorry, the lion's pit in his own domain, in the lion's den, and killed that lion. He looked mighty foolish. Amen. And how many of you here, if we were out there in the middle of a lake and we were all on the boat, and I got up and I decided I was going to walk off the boat on the water because I thought I could walk on the water, how many of you think I had my mind right? How many of you would try to stop me from taking a step off the boat? I'm sure Tina would go to Holland. No, you can't swim. (laughs) Peter was flat right out foolish. Amen. Jesus looked foolish when he was hanging on the cross half naked. But you know what? That's the essence of faith. You got to act foolish. Why? Because Noah saved his family and the whole world in the flood. Sarah birthed Isaac and when she brought Isaac out, she brought the promise of Almighty God. The Jericho walls came tumbling down after they acted foolish for a little while. David defeated Goliath and carried his sword around him for the rest of his life. Ben and I killed that lion and was took by his very act and made the commander of the army of Israel. And the wise men that went out and sought Jesus looking for yonder star, they found Found the Messiah and Jesus rose up from the dead, ascended yeah. to heaven and yeah. sat on the right hand of God and now he's with you every day in his life. He looked foolish but God honored his foolishness. Amen. The reason why you ain't got no further than you have in your life right now is you're not willing to look foolish. I look mighty foolish up here screaming in the holler when the microphone spit flying all over the place. I look mighty foolish sometimes. But the greatest miracles, the greatest breakthroughs that you will ever have in your life, the greatest turning points that you can witness in Scripture always happen and goes back to somebody who acted like and was willing to be foolish. Why? Because God did not call you to be normal. He called you to be foolish. So look at your neighbor tonight before I read my Scripture and say, I refuse to be normal. God called me to be foolish. Maybe I'll get this crowd foolish for it's over with. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 26. I want you to see what Paul said about this. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty men, not many noble are called. But God has cho- chosen the foolish things. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I'm a foolish thing. He has called the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of this world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yeah, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why? Next verse says, because no flesh should glory in his presence. God said, you're a foolish thing and I called you to be a foolish thing. Nothing has changed since that scripture. It is the same way it's always been. So I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I want you to help me to explain this to my congregation because this is just the first point that he made to me. And as I went studying a little bit, I found a study that was done on divergent thinking. Probably never heard about it before. Now, thinking is a thinking that is different than what everybody else thinks. It is a thought when you use a variety of premises, especially premises that are unfamiliar to you, and you base your inference on something that's been unfamiliar to you, and you throw all limitations to the side while you're looking at it, and you reach a conclusion. Basically, it basically means that you have intellectual originality and you think outside the box. It's called creative thinking. It's called, say, well, you think in a certain way when everybody else tells you that it can't be done, you sit down and figure out how it could be done. Yeah. And they've done a study over a period of some 70 years, 70 years, now get this, over 70 years, and they studied kids all the way up to the time they graduated, all the way up to the time that they died and they left this earth. And here's what the study brought out. Ninety-eight percent of children, three to five, are scoring as a, at a genius level in the way they think. Did you just hear what I said? From three to five years old, 98% of the children that are on the face of this earth for 70 years now, at age three to five, scored as a genius turn to your own neighbor right the side and say, you are, you are a genius. Oh, find somebody else tonight and say, you are, you are a genius. From three to five years old, 98% of the children scored as a genius yeah. from three to five. But when they reached number five and they went in the first grade, from first grade to the second grade, it went down from 98% to 10%. What happened? Then when they got to over 25 it went down to 2%. The fellow that runs the Hallmark movie channel, the Hallmark greeting cards thing, he left Hallmark to do this study. And he went out and he went to looking and he went to schools and he'd done conferences and workshops in the school. And he would go into the pre-kindergarten class and the first question that he would ask everybody, Susan, at that, at that pre-kindergarten class, he said, how many artists do I have in this building? And everybody in the class would raise their hand maniacally like this. I'm an artist. I'm an artist. I'm an artist. Then he'd turn around, and he would go back to the first grade, and in the first grade, he would ask them, how many of you are artists? And it come down to about 20% would raise their hand and say, I'm an artist." By the second grade, when he asked it, it was only down to two. And then from the third grade on, it was only one. I wonder here tonight, how many artists do I have in the church? How many is artists? But, but, but listen to me now, you're a genius. You're, you're a genius. From three to five, you are a genius. So whether you are artist or not, genius will keep you to the point to where you can teach yourself to be an artist. What kept you from being an artist? You hear that? I can't draw. I didn't ask you if you could draw. I said, are you an artist? I Everybody is an artist. Some of y'all are an artist in the way you talk. Sissy can talk to you, and she's an artist in the way she talks. Her voice and her inflections is an artist. She can get done what she needs to get done by doing a tone and a voice inflection. And your children are the very same. But they are an artist. They know exactly what tone of voice and what inflection to use to get the training to do exactly what evil wants done. They're smart. They're geniuses. But how, if I was to stand up here and start out tonight and ask you up front how many geniuses we got in this building, not a single one of you would raise your hand. But the truth is, you're a genius. There is so much on the inside of here. Do you, don't, you don't realize you only use 1% of your brain? 1%. Now, I'm taking a little bit of time on this because God wants me to show you something. <laughs> He asked him, he said, how many artists I got? Every one in, in kindergarten to the first grade, they would raise their hand and say, I'm an artist. By the time of two, it went down about 10%. When it got to the third grade, there were but two out of 100 kids that would raise up their hand and say, I'm an artist. And by the time they hit 25, there was one out of 100 that would raise up their hand and say, they're an artist. What happened? What caused these people to stop believing that they were an artist? They were programmed. Society programs you to be normal. When you put on a gray sweater, you supposed to put on some gray pants. And Tina said the night before I come, that one ain't as dark as this other one, but that'll work all right. Maybe they won't nobody to say nothing about it. But I'm up here saying something. I'm not supposed to leave my house with my hair all messed up. I'm not supposed to do that. Why? Because nobody else lives. I'm supposed to go outside there and I'm supposed to be clean, shaven, look good and all this stuff and I'm supposed to bring honor on my mom and daddy and on my family when I go out into the neighborhood. But the truth of the matter is God don't care if your hair is combed. He don't care if you got your beard shaved. He don't care if you got stuff all in your hair. He just wants you. Oh, my God, I'm preaching pretty good, amen? That's right, that's right. All right. Anybody ever had anybody look at you and say you're weird? yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That word weird, and we use that word, but that word, and we use it as a derogatory term, but I'm going to tell you what, that's the greatest compliment you can ever get in your life. Because that word weird means you are supernatural. Yeah. That word weird means that you are not of this earth. That word weird actually means you got power to control your destiny. Ooh, Look at your neighbor and say, I'm weird. I'm and weird. I, know it. God, I know it. God is calling a church to get up and wind up being weird. Amen? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, how many of you has read your word before? How many of have read a whole lot of crazy stuff in this word? It blew my mind when our story studied the story of Ezekiel and God told Ezekiel, he said, You go out there and you preach the gospel, and don't open your mouth. He so said, How can you preach and don't open your mouth? He went out there and he laid on his side for 390 days. And then he turned around well, for a certain number of days. Then he turned around and laid on his other side for another day. And then over 390 days, he cooked his meal overdone. And God told him to do that. And you see, that's kind of weird, ain't it? That's kind of nonconformist, amen. When I began to study uh, and I, when I began to preach, I always wanted to be the one that would give something other brand new so I would get away from the very uh, popular topics and I'd preach on stuff that you ain't never heard nobody preach on before. And I preached a message one time entitled, Don't Let the Ass Speak to You. And I talked about Balaam when the donkey talked to him and told him that the angel was standing there to kill him. The dumb ass talked to, go, to a jackass, talked to Balaam. y'all need to hear me now God told Hosea a man of God, a prophet, a preacher to go down to the red light district and to marry a prostitute and bring her into the church and have babies with her how would y'all how would that go over here in the church if I done that today I just divorced Hannah and I run down there and I got to be the biggest prostitute there he is wherever they are now and they come in here and I set her on the front pew, and I said, Now she's the first lady of the church and you got to start treating her like the first lady. Some of y'all wouldn't treat me like the first man. Amen. You know what I found out in my life? God loves variety. Yes. God is a God of variety. He acts and he speaks in mighty different ways. And another thing I found out is being normal is overrated. I don't care what people think of me anymore. I I don't like, there's one thing i got a problem with. I don't like somebody to think I told them a lie. I don't like that. But other than that, I don't really care what nobody thinks about me. Why? Because I was not called by my God to conform to this world. I was called to conform to Jesus Christ. And what I found out when I studied this word is that Jesus was a nonconformist. Yeah. He didn't conform to the world. And if you're going to conform to Christ, then you got to be un- a nonconformist. You got to say, I'm not going along with that. Romans 12 and 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is the acceptable and the perfect will of God. Yeah. You cannot find out what the perfect will of God being a conformist. You've got to have a point in your life to where you are different than everybody else. I want you to smile at somebody and say, I am different than you. I am different. I'm tired of all y'all acting just a I'm tired of the church acting just like. we got too many people in the church to act like each other. Betty is Betty Radley. She's the only Betty Ratley that there is on the earth and the only one that's ever been here and the only one that ever will be. And I want Betty to act like Betty. I want Angie to act like so Angie. I want you to think the way God told you to think. I'm sick and tired of a church that's not celebrating diversity. I'm ready for a church to look at everybody and say, you know what? Ben can think this way and John can think this way and Emily can think this way and Kip can think this way. And we can still raise up our that's hand right. and worship that's God. Right. That brother side of the deep in my reflection. Look at somebody and say, I ain't gonna be normal no more. There's nobody ever been like you, and nobody's going to ever be like you. You are one and the same. That's a testament not to you, but to God, because God created you, and God celebrates your originality, and he wants you to be in a designer's original. Y'all with me today, amen? amen? Now, here's a problem that we've had in the church. It's been taught for years, and it's a stronghold now in the church And anybody that preaches against it, they're crazy. We think for a person to be mature or grow up means they have conformed to what we think they should be. Y'all follow me now? If if you ain't grown up and you talk the way the preacher talks and you go to church the way the preacher goes to church and you don't worship the Lord the way the preacher worships the Lord, if you don't do all this, then you ain't grown up yet. How many of you have been guilty in your life of saying, well, they need to grow up? Great uh, uh, after. Chip had him say, Lord, please forgive me for that. Because you see, maturity has nothing to do with earthly conformity. Wow. Maturity has everything to do with heavenly conformity, yeah. where you are conforming to what God desires in your life. I want you to understand as he speaks to you today that God really has not gave you a dress code. He didn't tell you that after Labor Day you couldn't wear whites. He didn't tell you that you needed to wear flat shoes because you were too tall. He didn't tell you you needed to wear heels so that your shape would look a lot better. He didn't tell you that your hair is supposed to be brown when it was given to you as being gray or black. He didn't tell you no that so He didn't give you a dress code. And he sure didn't turn around here and give you a verbal code and say, you can't say I is what I is. Uh-huh. He said, you're supposed to say I am what I am. God celebrates us. He did not tell you that you could not go out there and be an original person, an original creation, and go to whatever place you feel like you That's need right. to go. That's right. You see, what that is, is it's called superfluity. And Paul preached against that thing. He he said that if you are in this situation where you're so dogmatic trying to make everybody to conform to your idea of of maturity, that literally you are showing everybody how thoughtless you really are. Because superfluity means that you lack any type of sense at all. You lack, lack any way of thinking at all in your life. You don't have any character. And I believe that what has happened in the church is the church don't have no more character. Amen. God never called you to be a clone. Never called you to worship like Sissy does. Never called you to worship like Katrina does. Never called you to be Janice. There's nothing in the world for you wrong, for you to have some respect for them. But if everybody in this house was just alike, it would be the most boring place you have ever come in your life. Amen. If everybody was like Tina, Lord, help us. Every <laughs> Everyone of y'all could push my button any time you wanted to because she knows exactly where it's at. Thank God everybody ain't like Tina, amen. But not only would it be boring, it would be unbiblical. says that the, the church of God is the body of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of all these churches of big toe. Everybody got to be a big toe if you come to this church. If you go to this church, you got to be a doctor. If you go to this church, you got to be at the high lead in this class. If you go to this church, then you got to have, have to be a pinky finger. If you go to this church, you better be the church with the first fingernail. If you come in here, you better be the first church with the big nose. Or you must be—you got to be a, a church of the, the, the first church of the best hair cut you've ever had in your life. No, God is wanting a church that's the entire body. Yeah. He wants a big nose sitting back there on the back row. He's wanting a little toe sitting here on the front. He's wanting this pinky finger over here. He's wanting this fingernail over here. He's wanting the mouth over here. He's wanting the eyes over here. He's wanting a church with diversity yeah. because yeah. a body. Without every part working all together, is nobody yeah. at all. And that's what's happening in the church. Can I help anybody here tonight? I'll try to finish. I haven't got a whole lot of amens tonight reading that stuff, but I'm just trying to help you out. Look at your neighbor right beside of you. Look at him real good and say, Your part part is different than my part. Say that again. Your part is different than my part. part part. Let me explain something to you. Society, their goal is to make you less foolish. Society, the church, the school, they're suppressing your creative genius. And in doing that there, from the cradle to the grave, you are pressured to be normal. You're supposed to react normal. You're supposed to always do this. But sometimes in your life, there was some time somewhere in your life that you had that fleeting moment where you thought about exactly how smart you really were.
1: Mama asked me
0: one time, I got four years old, she said, what you going to be when you grow up? I said, I'm going to be the President of the United States. Uh-huh. Then one day she asked me in front of Granddaddy, she said, tell Granddaddy what you said you're going to be. I said, I'm going to be an astronaut. Then a little bit later on, daddy said something about his uncle. He said, Tell him what you said you was going to be. I said, I'm going to be a country singer. And another one asked me, I said, I'm going to be a lawyer. And another one I said, Well, I'm going to be a doctor. I didn't have no limitation in my life as a young child what I was going to be. I didn't realize that I come from the jam and that I didn't have no money and I wasn't smart as everybody else. I was told that I came from the jam. I was told that I'm a country boy and I was told that I wasn't smarter than anybody else and that I couldn't do what I had in my mind that I could do. I told you one time I wanted to be an airplane pilot. That's the one thing I really wanted to be, and I wanted to join the military. To do that. I went and tried the military, and the military failed me on the physical, and I couldn't even get into the military. And if this and I kept ever telling everybody, I won't never be able to fly a plane because I can't go to the military. I was trained in my life and program that my genius did not uh, 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 did not stay in my life, and I gave up my dream. That's why I was walking around and asking you tonight, what did you want to be when you were a small child? And I heard all of you tell me all this stuff, and so I said, well, did you make it? And the majority of y'all told me, no, I didn't make it. And when I asked you why you didn't make it, one told me she was too old. Look at a person right beside me and say, you're never too old. If you got a mind in you and you got two hands and two feet, you got a body, you still can do what God wants you to do. I don't care if, God, if, you, if God's been calling you all your life to preach the word. I don't care if you're 95. God didn't call Moses until he was 80 years old. It's time for the church to get to the point to where we realize it and we start letting the fool out on the inside of us and we allow God to do something in our life. Amen. Because yeah. you don't know what I found out. Jesus didn't just come to free us from sin. He came in our life to free the fool in us. He came in here to set every captive free. That's more than freedom from your sin. That's when He came to release you from all of your psychological straitjackets that you put on in your life. And Jesus has come to redeem you from your lack of potential. He's wanting you to be all that you can be, and now He's wanting you to let the fool out. Turn to that person right beside you and say, you gotta let the fool out. Now, I know this ain't gonna be real popular, but this is what that means. That means you got to start getting up and acting like you crazy.
1: There's some of y'all listening to me.
0: There's some of y'all been in this church and you have felt the music and you've been having a good time and all of you just sit there and you say, Well, I better not do anything because somebody might say something to other and somebody might not join me and I'm gonna look like a fool. That's what God wants you to do is I can look like a fool. That's right. And when this church starts acting like and looking like a fool, that's when God will bless us, that's when God will deliver us, that's when God will raise us up, and we'll be able to go look our lion in the face, and we'll be able to destroy that lion, we'll be able to raise up our spear, and look the devil right straight in the eye, and say, God gave me this territory, and I will win the battle, because I'm going to do something crazy, I'm going to do something of the foolish. God told Peter, said that Jesus said, if if you bid me to come, he said, come on, look at somebody, push. And just get the and say, God said, come on. God said, Come on. I believe some of us need to start praying for the fool that come out of some of us. All right. All right. We need to really be crazy. I'll close tonight real quick. One of the words for worship is the Greek word hallel. And one of the meanings for it is to be clamorously foolish. Now, what does it mean to be clamorously foolish? Uh, i wish that i could get somebody here tonight to jump up here and act like they're clamorously foolish just for a few minutes if you' are gonna worship the lord you got to be willing to be foolish how many's ever turned a cartwheel in the church that would be too foolish would How, how many of you just in the middle of, uh, of the church service you just hollered and said, woo, and you just went running all around the church? How many has ever walked the pews in the church? Anybody ever jumped up so high you almost hit the top of the ceiling? <laughs> Have we ever really truly been clamorously foolish for the Lord? David learned how to be foolish. David went and got the Ark of the Covenant, and he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant in, and he was so happy, and he got foolish, and he ripped off his king's robe, and he began to dance right there in front of everybody. And when you really study that down, he danced himself out of his robe. He danced himself to where he was literally naked. And his his wife, by the name of the call, she was Saul's daughter. She was the princess under Saul's dynasty. So she was a KK. She was a king's kid. And she knew exactly how a king was supposed to act. And the minute she realized that David was to acting like a king, boy, she was all up in the air about it. Boy, look at you. You look at there and you look like a, you're supposed to be a king and you look like you're a fool. I'll lose everything. That's right. He said, because what I just done, I've done it before the Lord. That's I didn't right. do it before the people. I did it for the Lord. And you better believe it. If I'm crazy now. I'm gonna get a whole lot more crazier. The more God does for me, I'm gonna get a whole lot more crazier. So the church needs to get a lot louder. We need yeah. to shout louder than we've ever shouted before. We need to run a little bit harder than we've ever run before. We need to act a little bit more foolish than we've yeah. ever acted before. Yeah. And when God. gives Away from all of your fear of being foolish, that's when God will deliver you and make you all that He wants you yeah, to be in your life. Amen. Amen. Smile at somebody and say, Your dream can still come true. Your dream can still come true. You said you want to be a nurse, right? Everybody turn around here and look, look at Ned. People say, Ned, yeah, it, it don't matter, it don't matter how, old you how old you are. You can still be a nurse. You can still be a nurse. Now, do you believe it